The information on this podcast is for educational purposes only and does not contain or constitute and should not be interpreted as any form of medical advice or opinion. You should always seek the advice of your healthcare provider about any questions or concerns that you may have. Welcome back to the Unfiltered podcast. On this show, we interview mental health professionals about abusive, toxic and healthy relationships. It is our hope that these interviews help you cultivate safe relationships. That is a memory that might get stored in what's called, that's called an implicit memory in the emotional part of our brain where there is no logic. It gets stored as a feeling. Those are what we call feeling memories. That's a traumatic memory. It gets stored in the emotional part of the brain or the limbic system. Hello everyone, my name is Juliana Aikin. I'm the host of the Unfiltered podcast and a co-founder of Unfiltered. Today I'm interviewing Dr. Stephanie Griesberg. She's a clinical psychologist with over 25 years of experience in the field and one of her specialty areas is helping adults with narcissistic parents lead healthier and happier lives. She's also the author of the book Adult Daughters of Narcissistic Mothers and there's a link to her book in the description. In this episode, we'll be diving into the topic of abuse and its impact on survivors. We'll be covering a range of important questions, such as how to overcome feelings of shame and fear, healthy coping mechanisms for irritability, identifying the unhealthy parts of your life that cause fatigue, and in the end, Dr. Stephanie will be guiding us through one grounding exercise for CPTSD and PTSD flashbacks. So grab a seat and get ready to learn some practical tips to help you or someone you know overcome these challenges. Hi, Stephanie Griesberg. Thank you for joining me today. It's nice to have you in this podcast episode. Well, hi, Juliana, and thank you for inviting me on your podcast. And I'm really honored to be here. That's great to hear. And let's get started with the questions right away. So the first question that we have here is, it is common for survivors of abuse to feel a tremendous amount of shame because of the abuse that they experienced. How would you advise someone to address their feelings of shame? And what are five to 10 tips you have to overcome feelings of shame? Mm -hmm. Okay. Well, I think that is, um, you know, a really important question. And first of all, what, what is shame? Shame is the feeling that something is wrong with us, that we are flawed or deficient in some way. Sometimes it gets mixed up with the feeling of guilt. Guilt is the feeling that I've done something wrong. My actions are wrong. I've done something against my moral values. But shame is different. Shame is the feeling that at my core, there is something wrong with me. And when you have been involved with a narcissist um, or someone has been abusive to you, you have gotten that message. I'm not doing something wrong. You, you are bad in some way. And that's why I am treating you in this way. And, you know, we absorb that into ourselves. So I think I always believe one education, learning about how this process works. And that's why, Juliana, podcasts like this are so valuable. So you can start to hear, oh, this is why I feel this way. I'm not crazy. Maybe I've been gaslighted. This is why this is happening to me. Um, so you can start to step back and understand why these patterns exist. Um, so one, education. Um, two, maybe starting to understand um, why you might have been vulnerable to getting involved with someone who made you feel this way. Perhaps there was something in your childhood that left you feeling more vulnerable to getting involved with somebody who was treating you abusively. Although I think it's important to understand that if someone, if we're talking about someone who's narcissistic, who's very charming, um, that anybody, anybody 
can be vulnerable to getting involved with somebody like that. It doesn't mean that there's anything wrong with you. They're very good at getting people um, on board with them. So one, so the next thing can be really starting to step back and trying to figure out who am I really? What's important to me inside? We call this looking at your values. And I don't mean values in terms of right and wrong. I mean, what do I care about? What makes my life meaningful? What do I wake up in the morning for? Maybe you decide that what makes me tick is that I am you know, a caring and kind person, that that's something that gives my life meaning. And then how do you want to show up that day in a way that enacts that value? It could be the smallest thing in the world. It could be texting a friend to check in and see how they're doing if they're having a hard time. When we start to do things that make us feel like our authentic selves, that's one of the ways we start to melt away those feelings of shame because we're being our true, authentic self. So I'll just stop there for a moment and just see, you know, if you have any thoughts about that. Yeah, I was thinking, why living to, why being our authentic self melts away the shame? What is the like reasoning behind that? That was interesting. I would want to hear more about that. Well, because when we're living, you know, according to shame, shame is the feeling that there is something wrong with you, that at your core, you are deeply flawed. And that's the voices that you're listening to. You might isolate yourself from other people um, and just have a sense of just badness. And then guilt is probably mixed up with it. So what you want to start to do is figure out, well, who am I? Who am I really? And so, you know, you can even go online and find a, and I'm happy to send you a link, a list of values Values means who am I really? What do I really care about? So you want to, the reason it helps is because it helps you figure out who am I really? I'm not this voice, this, what this other person told me I am. Because if you are involved in an abusive relationship, you have been told there's something wrong with you. Okay. Um, probably over and over again. And so one really helpful step is starting to figure out, well, what really matters to me? What do I really care about separate from whatever this person said to me? And start to build up a sense of yourself, a sense of what you really care about. And that helps you build up what we in psychology called your sense of self, your sense of who you are inside, which when you're with someone who's abusive, that gets eroded. You know, it's like when the, the beach gets eroded away because, you know, there's too much water. Um, you want to build up, you know, the beach again so it's safe and protected. Well, our personalities, our sense of, of who we are gets eroded when we're with someone who's abusive to us. So we want to build that up. We want to figure out who we are. Maybe we want to go out. Here's another way. You want to go out maybe and try something new just a little bit. Maybe you want to, we call this in psychology, we call this exposure therapy. Maybe you just want to, um, maybe you've been really isolated. Maybe you just want to say, okay, I'm just going to go out for a walk around the block. Maybe I'm going to try a new type of coffee. Maybe just a little something different that stretches you out of your comfort zone. Mm, yeah, makes sense. Thank you so much. So mm -hmm. uh, do you have any any like other, you said that you're going to stop, stop there and ask my thoughts. So what else do you have there? Okay, so 
The other thing about shame is that it's many people who feel ashamed isolate themselves, okay? They isolate themselves from other people because they feel deeply flawed in some way. And so feeling connected to other people is really an antidote to feeling ashamed and building up healthy connections. In fact, um, a study, uh, the results of a study was recently released in the United States. I don't know if you've heard about it or not, where they studied um, people over decades of their lives to find out what really helped people feel happy, feel happiness over the course of their whole lives. And they found that one of the most important factors, if not the most important factor, was relationships, healthy relationships, feeling connected to other people. Um, that's what we all need. So starting to reach out to other people, let other people know you, because shame creates like a bubble around you, not a healthy bubble, but you go into a bubble of aloneness. And so figuring out, maybe I can, you know, meet a friend for coffee. Maybe I can talk to somebody. It's figuring out, maybe I can take a class about something I'm interested in. It's figuring out how can I build up connections that maybe have been cut off while I was in this, you know, bubble and let myself feel a little bit vulnerable. So uh, does, that, does that make sense? Yeah, it makes sense. I have heard that because the shame is such a, like, such a, like a very big feeling, a negative feeling that people actually feel like I do not want to interact with other people because they almost feel like they are going to infect them with their, mm. you know, I don't know, badness. And I'm such a, like, I'm not good influence to anyone. I don't want to this, like, like, I don't know. Have you ever heard anything like this? Oh, yes, absolutely. So, um, you know, one of the ways is certainly when you're feeling that way is I would really recommend if someone's feelings of shame were that deep to talk to a therapist about it, to get some professional help. And one of the things that you, the ways that you get over that, um, you know, and it's not something that's going to happen overnight is to test it out just a little bit, okay? Um, because so you might even just smile at somebody in the grocery store. Um, it, you might just test it out in the littlest of ways to see, oh, like what happened? What happened if I just smiled at somebody? Um, you don't have to start out with something big, like I'm going to take a class or, you know, I'm going to, you know, do ballroom dancing or, you know, join a running club. It could be the smallest thing. Um, I'm going to make eye contact with somebody when I'm walking down the street, when normally I would just put my head down mm. and avoid eye contact because I feel so bad about myself and I think I could infect somebody. So, um just trying the littlest thing. It can also be helpful to, you know, perhaps share with somebody else something that you've gone through. So you can get some reality testing about what happened. Because if you have been in an abusive relationship, what you have experienced is a very distorted um, view of yourself. You probably experienced something, and you may have talked about this on other episodes of your podcast, called gaslighting. And gaslighting is when someone denies your reality, denies your feelings, denies your emotions, not just denies them, distorts them. And it's important to understand Juliana, that this is not just a one-off thing, like, oh, that didn't happen. Mm -hmm. It happens over and over 
again, okay? So you are in a relationship with somebody who over and over again tells you that what you feel, think, perceive is wrong. There's something wrong with you. And because you have trust in this person, this isn't just some random person off the street, it breaks down your sense of trust in yourself. And so it takes a while to undo this. Mm -hmm. And so you, you need to connect with people that you can trust. Um, and so it's, it's kind of a catch-22, right? Because you don't, you don't feel safe connecting with other people, and yet you do need to connect with other people. Mm, yeah, I have heard that one of the most effective ways to heal, especially shame, is uh, because it was the shame was about I am a bad person. There's something wrong mm -hmm. uh, with me or in me. But then when you expose that to someone else that you trust and you can safely be vulnerable with, and then you get the feedback that people look at you and are like, there is like. Uh, that they approve you and they appreciate you the way you are and they are not going to give you the uh, feedback like for example that they are going to reject you so mm -hmm. because it so it doesn't you instead of getting uh, so in, so instead you get the feedback that you need that makes you understand that okay my feeling of shame it's like you said it might come from a distorted reality that's been you know fed to you and mm -hmm. it's not actually real and mm -hmm. so that's why it's so important to share it with someone so you can see the feedback from others, how people are actually, you know, like that they appreciate you. And, mm -hmm. Yeah. And start to discover yourself, figure out what it is, you know, this is somewhat different from values, um, what it is that you really like, what do you enjoy? Um, you know, do you like spicy foods or you know mild foods do you like you know asian foods or do you like you know italian foods do you like to go for walks or you know do you like to go to yoga classes um do you like scary movies or do you like comedies just mm -hmm. because shame and that comes from these you know it just diminishes you mm -hmm. right this person has kind of said, I know what's best. I know everything. So you are nothing. So you have to kind of rediscover yourself. Mm -hmm. What do you like? Um, what do you enjoy? Um, so it's sort of a rediscovery of yourself. Mm, so yeah. that's another tip. Okay, great. Uh, you have been giving great tips already. Is there like, do you have anything else? Um, I guess the other thing that I would say is, and, and this is something that's going to apply to all these questions, is to treat yourself, to use the idea of self-compassion. And I'll explain what that is more in a moment. Mm -hmm. Um because when you've been in an abusive relationship, often you're beating yourself up for having been in the relationship in the first place, okay? So why did I get into this relationship? What's wrong with me? Why didn't I see the red flags? You know, I'm an idiot. Um, you know, those types of things. Um, and so, I'll talk for a moment about the idea of self-compassion. Mm -hmm. And this is a very powerful concept that's been studied in psychology over the past few decades. And what it is, is, well, it has three main ideas. What it is, is one, being really mindful and aware of what your emotions are and what you're feeling and thinking. Two, being aware that you're not alone, that you, what you are going through, other people are experiencing also. And then the most, probably the most powerful part of it is talking to yourself like you would 
a good friend. Um, because especially when we're ashamed of ourselves, when we feel shame, we talk to ourselves just in the most awful voices, right? Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, let's say it's about why you got involved with the abusive person in the first place. You know, you're an idiot. Why did you do that? Why didn't mm -hmm. you see the red flags? What's wrong with you? Um, why did you stay so long? You know, why did you let him take, you know, why did he take your money? Or, you know, whatever it, it was. Okay, it could go on and on. Um, but let's say a, a dear friend came to you and was saying these things. You would never say that to your friend. You would never say, you're right, you're an idiot. Um, you should have gotten out. I can't believe you didn't see those red flags. Um, I can't believe you let him have control over your money. You should be ashamed of yourself. No one would, e you would never say that to a friend, mm -hmm. someone you cared about. You would say, oh my gosh, it's so understandable that, you know, he just, you know, seduced you and he was so charming and it's not your fault. And, you know, but you managed to get out of it. You should feel so proud of yourself. And, you know, I'm so proud of you. And this happens all the time. And it was not your fault that this happened. And, you know, and I love you and I care about you. And I'm just so happy that you got away from him. Um, Self-compassion is talking to yourself in that way like you would talk to a friend. Mm -hmm. It's really hard. And sometimes, it, sometimes people feel like, I can't talk to myself that way. You know, I don't deserve it. And that will make me weak. But that is what self-compassion is. Mm -hmm. And that is probably the biggest takeaway I would leave here. That is probably the best medicine for shame that there is. Yeah. Yeah, great. Thank you. And uh, as per, like you, you said, like, for example, if someone is thinking like, oh, why couldn't I say the red flags? And I feel like uh, also, if you have like a narcissistic family member, you might say, say to yourself, like, why haven't I kind of been able to open my eyes earlier? Like what's been going on? Like, that's also very tough that people like, are like beating themselves up because they are like, why well, couldn't I just see that that they're not like everything wasn't like right, and I kept you know justifying and believing in in this relationship with my mom or dad or sibling. Mm -hmm. So that that's also like a really really tough thing. Yeah, well, you know, when you grow up, you know, you're right. It is, and the thing is, when you grow up in that situation, that's what you know. And mm -hmm. I've heard this, you know, this saying, it's like a fish doesn't know what water is, because that's what they live in. That's what they, they swim in. And it's like that when you grow up in a family with narcissism. Why, why would you recognize it until maybe you have an experience? Or often I find, Juliana, that people don't recognize it until someone says to them, you mm -hmm. know, I think your mother's narcissistic or I think your, this might, you know, your brother is narcissistic. That's often, or maybe they just stumble upon an article or a podcast mm -hmm. and then, uh, you know, a light bulb goes off yeah. in their head because that's just what they know, like the fish, you know, in water. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's a really true, really true. Yeah, okay. it's often just accidental. Mm. Okay, so we have been going through like different tips how to address the feelings of shame. So I'm just asking you, do you still have uh, like other tips or can we go to the next question? Let's go to the next question. Okay, yeah. So the next question is, it is common for survivors of abuse to develop a belief that their life is meaningless if their abuser isn't in it. This makes leaving the relationship much harder because they fear being alone. What advice would you have for someone trying to overcome this fear? Okay. Um, well, you know, to some degree, I would talk about what 
I talked about before in terms of, I think it's just so important for anybody who's been, um, see where, been involved with this type of relationship to really want to know that this is normal. Um, it's normal to feel that way because your sense of self has been taken away from you when you are involved with somebody who's abusive. They have been controlling you, telling you, maybe telling you what to think, what to feel, and that you're no good. And so when you have um, left that relationship, when you're no longer in it, now, which is great, but all of a sudden now you're feeling, you don't know, maybe feel like anymore, how do I think for myself? Um, and that person has probably been telling you that they are the most important thing in your life, right? And now you've gotten away from them, but that message is still implanted in your brain mm -hmm. that you are nothing without them. So part of it is really learning to step. It might be learning to step back from that and look at the reality of that. And we, we need to understand how these experiences kind of get implanted into our brains, um, into the emotional part of our, our brains um, and say, okay, and that they might be triggered at certain points. And I can talk about that more later. Mm. Um, so, but to really, I think it's important to understand that that's what's been happening that that person told you, you are meaningless without me, okay? So it's going to take a while for you to start to feel like, I am meaningful, I am a person, um, and to separate from that voice in your head. So one thing um, that's really important is that you know you are gonna hear that voice you know, that person telling you you're not worth anything. Mm -hmm. So there's a concept, um, and we can't, so one, we can't control the thoughts that show up on our head. Um, we used to think in psychology that we could do this thing called thought stopping and tell people, well, just look at a stop, you know, pretend there's a stop sign in your head. Just picture <laughs> a stop sign and stop the thoughts. Now we know not only does that not work, but it backfires, okay? Mm -hmm. Thoughts come up more. So we know we can't stop our thoughts. We can't stop our emotions. But what we can do is accept that these thoughts and feelings are going to show up, that maybe life is meaningless or I don't have any meaning without him or her, and notice those thoughts, okay? This is where mindfulness can come in, okay? With really painful thoughts and emotions. And if there's time, we can, can practice an exercise at the end. So in other words, sometimes we call this unhooking from our painful thoughts and emotions. And you can sort of imagine that your thoughts and feelings are like clouds in the sky. You can notice them passing by. Can we stop the clouds floating by in the sky? Of course not. But we can just notice them as they come into our field of vision and pass on by, okay? And that's sort of the stance we want to have to these thoughts about our bad thoughts about ourselves, about feeling meaningless, okay? just to let them float by and then take steps towards something that does feel um, meaningful, okay? Mm -hmm. And that goes back to what I was talking about with the last question about doing something that's tied to your values and doing what we call committed action. Even if, if it's the tiniest little step, which might mean 
I want to be connected with people. So when I'm walking down the street, maybe I'm just going to try and make eye contact with someone instead of holding my head down in shame. It could be something that small. Mm. Okay. So it could be making a commitment to yourself that I'm just going to practice noticing those thoughts and letting them go minute to minute. Okay. Because trying to control those thoughts and emotions is like trying to control the weather. Mm. It's impossible. Okay. You can't do it. So any, I'll stop for a moment. Pause there. Any, you know, yeah, <clears throat> yes, uh, great, great, great answer, and I totally, uh, it's just such a, because in this question, this person is, or in the, the question relates to that it's hard to leave if, uh, yeah, it makes, uh, it, it makes the leaving the relationship much harder if you fear being alone, and you said that it might be, you know, that the person has said to them that, hey, you are meaningless uh, if, uh, like, without me. So it's very hard to, while you are in that toxic environment and still try to develop, like, uh, I mean, and still try to overcome that fear because you are also constantly receiving those messages from the abusive or narcissistic person. So I, I, I find that uh, it, that's, like, really that people struggle with that, you know, when you are at the same time in this toxic environment and then you are trying to overcome, for example, this fear of being alone. So, yeah. Mm -hmm. And, you know, what I described before was a, you know, a real psychological tool, but truly if you are in an abusive relationship and someone is, you know, talking to you in that way, maybe threatening you, um, has control of your your money, your children, I mean, who knows what it could be, um, is maybe even violent. Uh, it, you know, it is really important to try to get some outside help there. I mean, I'm in, in most countries, I, I hope, it, certainly it depends, I'm maybe not everywhere. Um, there are hotlines, there are support groups, find somewhere safe mm. that you can go a social services agency where you can go and and talk to somebody mm. and also you know it's very important also you know to get practical support because you really need to one have psychological tools but also really practical tools yeah. if you are in a situation like this like what are you going to do you know when i have people that i work with where are you going to go um, you need to know that you're not alone and what's going to help you get out. Mm. Mm. Great. Uh, then we have a question or can we, can we go to the next question? Yeah, please. Yeah. So the question number three is one of the sneaky side effects of abuse is irritability. What are five to 10 healthy things that a survivor of abuse can do to feel less irritable? Okay. So that's a great question. Um, I love that. So in psychology, psychology, we talk about a concept called emotion regulation. Mm. And that's really just how do I learn to identify my feelings and handle them in a way that is, you know, healthy for myself and, and for others. Okay. So, and one of the things that we, um, goes into emotion regulation, um, is prevention. Okay. Um, how do I take, um, care of myself so I'm less vulnerable to irritability, mm. okay? How do you set the stage for that? Now, I am not going to say anything right now, Juliana, that is rocket science, okay? Um, that is news, but it, I think it just bears repeating, okay? Yeah. So, but if you are in an abusive relationship, um, 
doing these things is probably not at the top of your list. So I am going to repeat it, okay? So these are the factors that we know make you, make it easier to manage emotions, okay? So, and they talk about this a lot in a form of therapy called dialectical behavior therapy, okay, or DBT. So, which is getting enough sleep, getting enough rest, you know, eating, you know, a health, a reasonably healthy diet. It doesn't have to be perfect, but if you're just, let's say, feeling stressed and eating a lot of junk food, that's going to make you more irritable. Um, using drugs and alcohol, too much alcohol, that's also going to make you more vulnerable. You know, you need to move your body. Um, doesn't mean you have to be out like running 10 miles a day, but even, you know, small amounts of movement. We now know from science that, you know, just getting going out for a 10-minute walk can do a lot for your nervous system, mm -hmm. okay? So these are the things that we know really just help set the stage to keep your emotions, something like, you know, manage your emotions, okay? Um, especially something like irritability. So one, look for patterns of triggers. Look for what are certain things, I ask people to do this all the time, that might be triggering for you. Is it when, you know, I don't get enough sleep or, you know, maybe I've had a conversation, you know, when I talk to this person, because maybe there's a certain person who is not very kind um, or, you know, whatever it might be. Be aware of your social media use. Often, you know, we go on to, you know, Instagram because, and scroll our Instagram because it, we think that we're just, it's relaxing to us. But then we might find that actually we feel kind of more irritable when we get off Instagram because we see everybody who has a supposedly, you know, mm. perfect life. Okay. So pay attention to your social media use and look for patterns of triggers. Okay. So those are some things that can really help with irritability. And then I want to go back to self-compassion so that when you do feel irritable, you know, when you have done, like you've just like gone upstairs and slammed the door and then you beat yourself up for slamming the door, you talk to yourself in a kind way because we're not perfect and we're all going to have those moments, okay? I don't know. Any any thoughts about that or? Yeah, thank you. And uh, yeah, like you said, it's not rocket science, but uh, it's extremely important. And I think it's kind of, like it's a nice thing that it's not rocket science. It's like mm -hmm. all those things that you said, we all can, you know, uh, you know, improve those things. And yeah, like you said, if you're still in the abusive environment, it usually is, uh, it might not be on top of your list. And it, when we know that narcissistic people are really good at making you actually, you know, that you have to prioritize their well-being over mm -hmm. your own. So like, like, of course, we understand that it's in those situations, it's hard to even, you know, do those, make sure that you meet those basic, uh, you know, things that might make you feel less irritable and that are in general just good for you. So in uh, if you are in with a narcissist, you actually forcibly, uh, with force, you have to take that time to you. You have to, you know, say, learn to say no, learn to set boundaries and mm -hmm. and yeah, stuff like that. Right, and you made such a good point that um, if you are involved with a, a narcissist, everything has to revolve around them. Maybe your partner is, I'm going to the gym, bye, and um, there's no time for you. Mm. So that these things are just, these are just critical ways that we, we um, our body needs this to stay in equal equilibrium. The other thing... Um, 
that we know that science is showing that really helps people with emotion regulation, like I said, like having the foundation for it, is spending some time in nature. Mm-hmm. You know, now we don't always have access to that, but but if you do, you know, and you live near the woods, and and you can combine a walk and being in the woods. That's also really good for our nervous systems. And as I said earlier, social connection, okay? It's, it's remarkable. I mean, it's just very good for our nervous system and keeping us regulated. Even if it's, you know, a five-minute phone call with a friend, how are you doing? How are you doing? It's remarkable how it mm-hmm. keeps us on an even keel. Yeah, great. Okay? Thank you so much. Uh, can we go to the next question? Mm-hmm. Okay, so this next question is, being in an abusive relationship is exhausting. How can survivors of abuse identify the unhealthy parts of their life that are making them feel fatigued? And then what are five to 10 things that they can do to overcome feelings of fatigue? Mm. Yeah, this is, a, I mean, I think this is a complicated question. Um, but it's a really important question. One, um, you know, I would say from a very practical perspective, I'll answer this really practically. Mm. I would say to keep, sort of keep a lock. I would really encourage people who are really struggling with fatigue to, to keep a log of, you know, how much they're sleeping, like their sleep, Um, you know, over a couple of weeks, you know, kind of rate their energy level on a scale from zero to 10, what they're doing, what days they feel more fatigue, the days they le- feel less fatigue, what's happening. It's really important, Juliana, to um, to track this, okay? Um, you have to have some real data to try and understand um, what's happening, what might be contributing to your fatigue, what helps, what makes it feel, you know, what makes it feel worse. I would also say, this is just thinking as my psychologist brain, if you're really struggling a lot with fatigue, absolutely go see your doctor, get a checkup, get blood work, because when I hear that from a patient, I also want to know, is there anything going on? Are they anemic? Is there something going on with their thyroid? I mean, they're... Mm. Um, They might want to get evaluated for depression because there could be a lot of, there's a lot of factors that can contribute to fatigue. Yeah. And um, are they drinking lots of coffee and then crashing? I mean, we want to have information, okay? And then once they start to, to gather that, then we can start to come up with some solutions, So, and a lot of the things that I talked about in terms of irritability, in terms of laying the foundation for feeling good in your body, Mm -hmm. you know, can help. Getting some, you know, exercise, you know, moving your body, enough sleep, but sleep, and you also want to look at the quality of your sleep. Is it disrupted? You know, maybe you are in bed for eight hours a night, but you're waking up every hour um, or you're up in the middle of the night for two hours. So looking at the quality of your sleep, um, looking at the quality of the food you're eating. Um, are you using, you know, drinking wine, you know, several glasses of wine at night because you're feeling so stressed, which then affects the quality of your sleep. And then Also, you know, um, so those are some things to really, to really look at, okay? We also know that when you're very anxious and worrying a lot, that affects your, um, your energy levels. So that's how I would approach that question. Mm-hmm. Yeah, thank you so much. And yeah, depending on the situation, but uh, I I remember I once talked with, uh, you know, one survivor, uh, and she was in like many years in an abusive relationship. And once she got out, first, she told like me that, 
she slept so much because her like whole body and nervous system had been this chronic stress mm -hmm. uh you know condition like it's just constant stress so after she got out like i don't i don't remember anymore how many like how long this went on but she just said that like just allow yourself like to sleep a lot like she actually yeah. slept like i don't know like 10 to 14 hours a night because her body just needed that and that kind of so she just allowed herself to recharge after yes. going like i don't like many many years over 10 years and, yeah. i'm not surprised because you raise a really good point when you are living in an abusive situation your body is in a chronic state of what we call fight or flight mm -hmm. It's in a chronic stress reaction. That means stress chemicals, cortisol, you know, adrenaline um, are constantly being released into your system. So your body is constantly, your nervous system is constantly charged up um, as if you need to run out of a burning building, okay? Mm -hmm. And now we need to have that reaction in our body that, adrenaline gets released, so our heart starts pounding and our muscles get activated, you know, in case we do need to run out of a burning building. We need to get charged up like that. But mm -hmm. it's supposed to be very temporary and very sporadic, okay? It's an emergency reaction. However, um, our body will also respond to that when we're in emotional threat, when we're living with someone who's abusive. And so when that is on all the time, we also know from science that how it affects our immune system, how it depletes us, um, you know, this, this has also been studied. So um, that is going to be, um, you know, your immune system, your body is literally um, like under attack. Okay, uh, then we have a question. It is common for survivors of abuse to struggle with uh, C uh, CPTSD flashbacks because of the abuse that they experienced. Can you please walk us through uh, two or three grounding exercises that someone who is having flashbacks could use to pull away from their flashbacks? Grounding with five senses. Um, you know, this is based on mindfulness, and I like this because you can do this, you know, anytime, anywhere. And so I'm just going to invite everyone just to start by just taking a few moments to get comfortable in your chair or wherever you're seated. That's right. And just take a few slow Deep breaths. And just notice your breath for the next few cycles of breathing in and out. And as you're doing this, you might notice the temperature of your breath, the rhythm of your breath. Or the texture of your breath. And perhaps you can notice your body just relaxing or letting go just a little bit with each cycle of breathing as you breathe in through the nose and out through the mouth. That's right. And now I invite you to just notice the bottoms of your feet and just press them down into the ground beneath you. And just notice the sensations 
of the connection between the bottom of your feet and the ground beneath them. Just notice how that feels. Okay. And now I invite you, and you can just say this silently to yourself, to look around the room where you are right now and just notice three things that you can see. And now, notice with your ears three things that you can hear. Very nice. And now notice three things that you can feel or touch with your hands or some part of your body. And now, notice three things that you can smell with your nose. And it might be simply even smells inside your nose. And now three things you can taste with your mouth, perhaps something you just ate or even just the taste of your mouth. Very nice. And now I invite you to complete this exercise by taking three more slow, deep breaths. One, two, three. Okay, thank you. Juliana, anything you would like to share about that brief, your experience of that brief exercise? Uh, thank you. Yeah, I was following it. And uh, I would want to ask, like, uh, because this is this question was about related to the flashbacks. So can you explain why a grounding exercise like this? Why does it help? Mm -hmm. Well, what it ha why it helps is... Um, and I'll talk a little bit about, you know, what happens when you're having a, a flashback mm. is that basically your nervous system is getting hijacked. And what PTSD is, or CPA, complex PTSD is, is that the past is coming into the present, okay? And what we want to do is doing something very concrete to calm our nervous system down. And so by, if you can remind yourself, and this can take some practice. And so one, I, I want to encourage people, if you struggle with this, is to practice this when you are not having flashbacks or you're not having, let's say, a panic attack, or just feeling anxious or irritable, or whatever it is that you're struggling with, okay? Mm -hmm. Because, you know, you could do this anytime, anywhere. You know, you're sitting in a, in a meeting or eating dinner, um, okay? So practice this, because what it does is because it's really a very concrete 
exercise, it brings you back to the here and now. Mm-hmm. And what PTSD wants to do is it takes your brain back to the past. You're not here. Okay. And what you are doing is you are literally saying, this is what I see. This is what I hear. This is what I taste. And you are bringing yourself back to right now. Okay. Um, which is the opposite of a flashback. So what really we're talking about with complex PTSD um, is that when we um, experience a traumatic event, okay? Um, so the way, well, let me talk a little bit more about how the brain works, okay? So we basically, in order to understand trauma, we kind of simplify how the brain works, okay? And we think of the brain in three sections. We have the thinking part of our brain, which is we call the prefrontal cortex mm-hmm. up here. And that's the part of our brain that has, you know, reasoning, problem solving, that holds memories for events and facts in sort of a linear, a linear way, where there, you would tell a story with a beginning, a middle, and the end. That's where we organize things, okay? It's the logical part of our brain. Then we have what's called the limbic system. And that is the part of our brain that stores emotional experiences, relationship experiences, including traumatic memories, okay? And then we have what's called the brain, st- the brain stem, okay? That's really, really back here at the base. And that's where all our um, monitors, heart rate, breathing, all our, you know, instinctual responses. You know, that, so that's the part of that gets damaged. You know, we're really in trouble, okay? Because that's mm. kind of what keeps us, our basic functioning, mm. alive. So let's say, you know, you have something, you know, very traumatic happens to you. You know, you're walking down the street and, you know, you hear gunshots in a milli microsecond, your limbic system, the emotional part of your brain is going to start to release stress chemicals so that you have the ability, your body gets all charged up and ready to run, ready to escape a a dangerous situation, okay? It's not going to wait until that experience you know, travels up to the thinking part of your brain where it can think, huh, I just heard gunshots. Should I hang around? Should I run? You know, Mm. gosh, what should I do here? Let, let, let Let me be logical about this, right? So it happens like that, okay? So what happens is that is a memory that might get stored in what's called, that's called an implicit memory in the emotional part of our brain where there is no um, logic, no beginning, middle, and an end story. It gets stored as a feeling, okay? Those are what we call feeling memories. Mm. Sometimes they're called implicit memories, okay? That's a traumatic memory. It gets stored in the emotional part of the brain or the limbic system. Okay. So let's say, so you run away from the gunshot, you're safe, okay? But maybe later in your life, when you hear loud, unexpected noises, maybe someone pops a cork of champagne and you weren't expecting it, (gasps) and you react like this, okay? Mm. And people are like, what are you doing? What's wrong with you? Or celebrating. Someone popped champagne. Like, why are you acting like that? And maybe you don't even realize. Mm. 
because there's a feeling memory inside of you of that traumatic memory, okay? And it just comes up as a feeling, a fear, okay, um, of needing to escape, of needing to run, and you don't even understand why that's happening. But the pop, the noise coming out of nowhere is a trigger, okay? Mm-hmm. So then maybe there's a part of you that doesn't want to go to celebrations and you don't even really want to know, you don't even really know why. But there's some connection with noise and, and you just withdraw from those things, okay? So that's, does that make sense? Yeah, it makes sense. Yeah. yeah, traumatic memories get laid down in our brain, okay? That's what, um, now, let's just say you're in an abusive relationship and these things start to happen, you know, and dangerous things interpersonally happen over and over again. Um, and then maybe you leave the relationship, but there are going to be triggers that, or maybe you experience them when you were growing up So you were young and you have even less awareness of them. These feeling memories just come up. Maybe you're always, you know, yelled at, you know, every time you just got, you cried and your mother would yell at you because she couldn't tolerate your feelings. Okay. So now when you start to feel sad, you just squish that down. You squish down that emotion because just feelings of sadness bring up a sense of, I can't feel that way. So mm-hmm. you don't understand why you just, maybe you feel kind of numb. Like you just don't feel sad feelings. It doesn't really make sense. Okay. So what we need to do is getting back to the question is recognize, start to recognize maybe that some, when you have an emotional reaction, maybe doesn't make sense to you that it may be a feeling memory an implicit memory part of your trauma reaction okay this is what PTSD is okay Mm -hmm. and when it's complex PTSD the difference is is that something that occurred over and over and over to you and that's what happens in when it starts in childhood or in abusive relationships or maybe when you grow up in an unsafe environment, if you grew up in a dangerous neighborhood or a war-torn place or in a situation like that, okay? But we do know, and it's really important to leave on a note of hope, that we know how to treat this. This can get better. And we really have a lot more understanding now about how to understand these kinds of feeling memories, how they affect people, and people can get help with them. So they do not have to control your life. Okay. All right. Common theme Mm. is that, you know, how these memories get laid down in the brain. Mm. Um, All these, you know, things that we talked about, feeling irritable, feeling shame, feeling um, fatigue, feeling um, that... Uh, life might feel meaningless. All of these can be part of those memories that mm-hmm. get, or these emotions that get laid down in the brain, in the emotional part of the brain. Um, traumatic me- and are really like traumatic memories. Yeah. Um, and that we know a lot about how to work with these. But that what you can also do is what I would leave people with is that when you feel those things, whether it's you feel irritable, you feel ashamed, you feel life is meaningless, you can, you can say to yourself, oh, these are, these are feeling memories that come from the experiences that I had. And if I can start to notice what the triggers are, I can say, oh, you can even say, I am being triggered. This is from the past. I am in the here and now. I can ground myself, I can calm my nervous system, I can figure out what's important to me as a person and take one small step 
to be in the present and make the life that I want to make. And that's how I would sum it up. <laughs> Thank you so much. That was such a great, great way to sum all this up. Okay, uh, so today we had some great questions and great answers. So I want to thank everyone for listening to this episode. And thank you so much, Stephanie, for coming to this episode and giving such wonderful and practical and comprehensive advice to all of us. Thank you. Well, thank you for having me, Juliana. And it's really been a delight to be here and to talk with you um, and hear your insights and um, I'm really uh, pleased to be here. If you have enjoyed this episode, please leave us a review and share the episode with your friends and family. Have a wonderful rest of your day and see you in the next episode.